everyone, this is George Crows bringing you episode four, season two of iMOOC. We are lucky to have Jennifer Cassa Todd with us tonight. She'll be talking about her new book that is coming out very soon about digital leadership and social media and how students can make a difference in the world. Uh, we then talk about part three of the book and then take viewer questions. We had some tech technical difficulties, but everything seemed to work out pretty fine. Uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Hey, everyone. Uh, this is George Kuros. This is iMOOC Episode 4, Season 2, with myself, Katie Martin, and we have special guest Jennifer Cassett-Todd tonight. Uh, we're having a few internet connection problems, but hopefully they will uh, you know, be fixed. But we should be good to go, uh, but we're going to make sure that we make the best of your time. Uh, probably about an hour, maybe a little bit, probably a little bit less uh, for the session. But I'm really excited. Uh, I just want to acknowledge all of the work that was going into this last week. It's been quite amazing to actually watch. Um, a lot of people did the, the short blog post challenge, and that was amazingly fun to watch. Uh, it, was, it was very cool, and I think it, it opened some doors to people thinking differently about blogging. They're not all writing college essays, which, to be honest with you, are harder to read because they are so long. Uh, you want something that helps you build an audience and helps you connect. So it's been really cool to see. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk with uh, Jennifer Cassett-Todd and then uh, for a few minutes and just kind of hear about some of her work, both um, what she's doing in her school and what she has planned coming up. She has a new book coming out uh, fairly soon and I've actually uh, worked with her on it and it's going to be awesome. There's a lot of great stuff that she's doing in her schools and then we're going to talk about part three of the book and then we're going to take your questions. So we're making sure that we're keeping an eye on the iMOOC hashtag. I'm going to turn it over to Katie Martin and she's going to share a little bit now. All right. Welcome, everybody. We are excited. And again, just to reiterate, it's great to see everyone's blogs this week. Lots of great ideas and lots of great participation. We are very excited to have Jennifer here tonight. So, Jen, go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. All right. Well, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Jennifer Cassatod. I am a teacher in um, Newmarket, Ontario. Actually, I'm a teacher librarian, new teacher librarian. Uh, prior to that, I've been teaching for 23 years years, actually. It's crazy. Um, I started off as an ESL teacher. I've taught high school English, religion, special education, Italian, cooperative education. Um, ended up in a, not ended up, applied to be in a district uh, level role as a program resource teacher, which I did for a few years. Became a literacy consultant. Uh, loved, loved working with uh, teachers 7 to 12 in that role. And then I was um, probably about three and a half years ago, we had a, an initiative called Journey towards 2020, uh, whereby we had, it was a district-wide initiative, all 108 schools were involved, and I was lucky enough to be part of a really awesome team, um, one of the lead learners in that uh, really awesome team of um, leaders who were helping teachers to um, integrate technology into their classrooms um, and focus on, on technology-enabled learning. So that was exciting because I was able to work with some amazing people, K-12, to um, which is a little bit different for me. So, and then I missed, I really missed being in a school um, and having an impact at that level and seeing kids every day because I didn't really get to do that. Um, so I applied and, and now I'm a teacher librarian at a school with an amazing administration and some wonderful teachers. So really, really happy to be there. And, and uh, that's a little bit about me. 
I've known uh, I've known Jennifer for quite a while, and uh, we actually have connected several times uh, and, and done some work together. And, and she's extremely thoughtful of the work she does, and uh, really passionate. I think one of the things I find really uh, fascinating about Jennifer's work is that um, she embraces the gray. She embraces kind of the conversations, which I think is really important that not anything is black and white and she's constantly looking uh, for different solutions. So um, I've actually had the privilege of helping her out uh, with a book that's coming out. And so Jennifer, do you want to talk a little bit about what the book is coming out and why you actually think it's really important? Absolutely. Okay. So thank you, George. And yes, I have to publicly acknowledge how, um, how much I owe you for this book and, and your help and mentorship there for sure. So I'll tell you a little bit about how sort of it came about. How did I even um, get to write this book? What am I doing? Um, and it really began, uh, I would say a few years ago when I was in uh, my district level position, we brought in Will Richardson and he said something like, I want my children to be found on the internet by strangers. And he said, I'm going to let that hang ominously for a minute. I want my children to be found on the internet by strangers. And I got to tell you, that was probably the most uncomfortable. I mean, I don't mind discomfort. I learn from discomfort, but that was the most uncomfortable I'd been in a long time. And it was, it was this crazy jarring feeling because as an educator, um, you know, uh, looking back at um, Amber and Matt and what they were talking about last week in terms of connecting on Twitter. I had been in conversations with strangers for a long, long time, strangers who had supported me, um, who challenged me. I was part of Edumatch with uh, Sarah Thomas and have been for a year and a half. And, and, and so that reality as an educator, developing this PLN was something that was really extremely important to me. But when it came to my kids, <laughs> I was a different person altogether. I was mama bear. I, um, you know, thought of social media in terms of uh, needing to protect them from it, uh, making sure that they weren't making mistakes. Um, and so that's why what he said made me so uncomfortable. And so I do what most Italian families do. I'm Italian. We, we just sort of put it under the carpet and we don't think about it again until we have to. Um, and then I had to. My daughter uh, was 15 years old at the time and she was interviewed uh, for she was being interviewed for a camp counselor position and we were in my like we were in this room and she was on that computer um, and it was on Skype if you can believe it so that just talks the changing nature of, of jobs and whatnot and the uh, interviewer asked her what social media are you on and what will I learn about you if I go there and Sydney and I had talked about, you know, what, what possible questions they might ask her. And for some, some reason, I just, it didn't even occur to me that that would be a question. But that question changed everything for me. Um, I realized how much of a mom fail. <laughs> like, it really hurt me because I thought she had wanted to do things on social media. And I just sort of squashed her passion, you know, because I said, oh, you know, yes, you could do this vlog, honey, um, but I don't want your name on there. I don't want your face on there. So she kind of said, what's the point? Um, and then it was really, George, uh, your definition and your, your concept of digital leadership that 
changed everything for me. So, so I became so passionate about this idea that we can use the vast reach of technology and social media to improve the lives, well-being, and circumstances of others. And that's how you defined it. And that's how you explained it. And when you explained it, you actually didn't talk about it in terms of us educators. You talked about kids doing this. And so I remember you talked about Jeremiah Anthony and, uh, you know, he complimenting people on Twitter and how it built this incredible sense of community. And this boy named Connor Swove, uh, I think that's the way you pronounce it, and how he had was a valedictorian and he created this Instagram account where he complimented kids. And I thought to myself, okay, just because I had failed as a mom, um, I think this is a conversation we absolutely need to have in education. So is it okay for us as educators to benefit from this amazing world that that is social media? It has been for me on Twitter and Voxer, um, and, and not okay to empower our students to leverage it. So I set about, I'm a doer, uh, George gives me an idea and I run and do it, um, and I went and uh, found all these amazing kids. And, and when I say amazing kids, these are kids who are passionate, who are modeling um, the way social media should be done. Um, they are learning and sharing their learning. They're promoting important causes. They're positive influence on others. And, and part of why they're doing that is because there is uh, a, an adult in their life that is acting as a mentor and a guide for them. And I quickly realized there are very few instances in education where we have, we embrace social media to the point where we are empowering our students. And so then I set out to find teachers who are doing this. Like, who are these teachers? What are they doing? So this book is really my burning questions about some of these issues and the Definitely the layers of gray. Um, like if I could have put shades of gray in, in my title without actually having really horrible connotations, I would have done that. But right. but there are so many layers of gray. And, and, and you wouldn't want to put like kids in 50 shades of gray, probably not the best title for a book. Right? No. <laughs> no, exactly. But uh, but what I but what what I do recognize is the layers of gray, and that's because I have worn the parent hat. Um, I have sat at district tables where we've had conversations about you know, people wanting to ban, why we're banning. Like, you know, there, there are multi-layers to that as well. Um, I've been on my daughter's parent council um, and, and wearing that hat, what does that look like? Um, and, and, and so I think rather than a writer, I almost feel like I'm a curator um, in this book. I've gathered uh, not just my own personal stories, um, but the stories of some wonderful people that I've met, um, teachers that are inspirational and doing wonderful things. And one of the things I'm, I'm really excited about too is that students speak in this book. So um, there are student vignettes throughout the book um, and quotes by them so that we they have so much to say, and we talk about student voice all the time, but I sometimes find that they're really missing from some of these tables, and I think it's worthwhile to, to listen to them, and so I'm really excited that they're in the book. So um, that's a little bit about the book. I'm hoping, um, the so, so my hopes for this book are that um, that prompts conversations, uh, really, e even finishing, like I've, I've had such a tough time, I mean, I've had 
personal sort of obstacles that have stopped me a little bit, but, but really finishing this book is hard because every, everywhere I turn, there's another story that I feel like I need to add. Um, so, so really encouraging those conversations. I really want those digital leaders, um, that I, that I showcase in the book to be the norm, not the exception. And I'm hoping that this book does that. Um, I'm hoping that people start to realize that you don't need to, you know, only have a community online and then a community, you know, in your classroom that we build, that you can build community um, and, and, and use social media. And that social media, using social media is not actually an add-on to your curriculum, but is part of what teaching and learning is all about. Um, it's just one of the tools in our repertoire. And, and honestly, I think we need to just let go of that fear narrative. And, and I'm hoping that that book will do that, will show an alternative. So it, it's the classic case of that child who says, well, yeah, you tell us what we can't do, but what can we do? So I, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that the book um, gives some light and inspiration as to what we can do. And I think that's a really important point because um, I, obviously I, from my work, I travel around schools all over the place. And one of the things I, I ask students quite a bit, um, what do your teachers tell you about social media? And it is only don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it is very rare that I go into um, a school or a, a district where kids are talking about um you know, opportunities of things that are possible. And I think you do a really great job of pulling those things together and kind of giving examples because how, how inspired are we as educators when somebody comes into a school district and talks for an hour on all the things you should not be doing? And, and then we do it to kids and we know it's horrible, um, but we still do it anyway. So I think the possibilities are, are really important. Uh, one, just want to apologize, and that's great. Like, even just having access, um, you're going to probably kill me later, Katie, but probably half the time Jennifer was speaking, it was just focused on your facial expressions as she was speaking. So I'm terribly sorry about that. But the only reason I even knew that was happening is because uh, I was keeping an eye on the Twitter feed and people were helping out. Um, one, one thing I really want uh, you to kind of dig into, Jennifer, is the I, th I think one of the reasons why you're effective in talking about what is possible with students is not only researching what students have done, but doing it yourself. And I think that's like mm -hmm. for me, I, I do social media with teachers and a lot of them, the first thing they they go to is like, how do I use this with kids? I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. Like you have no clue what you're doing. Like you mm -hmm. go use it first. And, and I think that there's lots of opportunities where we can learn with our students, but because there's such fear, um, mm -hmm. I think maybe there's a balance of here where we're not saying, Hey, let's bring the kids online with us right away. Where I, I always talk to teachers about if you're going to get pushback and you don't know what you're talking about, you're going to be in trouble. And I think, so like, can you talk a little bit about like how, your own learning has shaped your experience to help kids. So, so I, do, I do, but before, before I, talk I talk about, about that, that I, I 
I don't know. I'm going to push back a little bit on this idea that you need to know how to work a tool in order to, to be able to embrace it. I definitely think there's that fear factor, like, what do I do? But some of the most powerful learning for me around social media has literally come when I knew nothing about it. Because, and, and this is something I, I concentrate on in the book, a teacher knows, a teacher is way more effective because they can ask the right questions. Um, and so here's an example. So my daughter, my other daughter, because I had already failed with one, so I'm going to work on my other one. Um, my 14-year-old, um, Kelsey, is like, oh, mom, you know, I just posted this to Visco. I'm like, huh, Visco, what is that? Like, I don't even know what that is. And the old gen would have said, you know, uh, you shouldn't be public. Let's look at your settings. Blah, blah. So, But I held back and I said, okay, tell me a little bit about what this can do. And then she became very animated and very passionate as she told me about what it can do. And then I started to ask her questions like, so what about the privacy? And um, you, when you when you put share your work out there, because it's a photography sharing site, then does the work still become, is it still yours? Or is it now the property? Does it become common she goes, mommy, what is that? So I had an incredible conversation with her because I knew how to write and ask the right questions. And I think that if we could get over our fear and know what questions to ask, and those are the questions that I think, you know, typically we think of when we think of digital citizenship, right? The questions like sa uh, safety, security, health, um, you know, literacy, those kinds of questions and, and we know that in, in today's day and age, asking a good question is far better than, you know, having the answers to that. So, but, but, so but I, I would say that. There. But I think there's a difference there because you're talking about your own children. And I think that's one of the things that when you, when you bring my kids along for the ride, right. and you don't know what you're doing while my child is at school. I'm a little bit nervous about that. And I think that's, that's me. And I, I think that, one of the things I truly believe is you should never hold a kid back from, from things that you don't know. But what I guess I'm saying is you need to, you need to know this. You need to understand like, how do you deal with, um, how do you deal with a, a jerk online? Like, seriously, like, mm. I think that's, how do you deal with this? Like there, there's sometimes, you know, I've got comments that I haven't been too happy about online yeah. and I actually am very thoughtful of how I respond and what I do. And I think, you know, I, I know that you've seen me do this before, um, where sometimes I don't know if the person's being critical of my idea or me, and mm -hmm. I don't respond back with anything other than questions. And I just make them yeah. state their case over and over again. And it diffuses sometimes people uh, because you're listening. And I think that's like, that's a skill. But sometimes I just won't respond because I'm like, oh my God, like, mm -hmm. look at what's being tweeted. And I think... Those are, it's not about, you know, like your kid shouldn't be on Snapchat if you don't understand Snapchat. I think it's more like kind of having an understanding of what it means to connect online. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like there's always going to no, be. No, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think that, that if you're a teacher and you're going to be using social media online, you need to be familiar with the basics like screenshot right? And, yeah. and every kid could teach you how to screenshot, you know, how do I report something? How do I block? How do I mute? And, and, and fundamentally, what's our action plan if something goes wrong? And certainly I, 
that happened to me personally. Um, and it was a very public thing and I blogged about it. And, you know, there was someone who came in who was, who was being very, very negative, uh, very offensive. Um, you know, we were on online, it was 2 AM. Um, and I had this Im immense support group around me who afterwards were like, wow, you know, so we blocked the person and we got rid of them. And then we had a conversation and we said, one of the things that we didn't do is we didn't have an action plan for what we we should have or could have done. And one of the quotes that you say that, that has stuck to me forever is, make the positives so loud that the negatives can't be heard. And I thought to myself in that moment, if we had only prepared, like what if someone comes in and we don't know them, what's our action plan? And, and I think having an action plan is really important. If we had all gotten on, online and drown out the negatives with positive, it was just me doing it, um, that, that it would have been a very, very different outcome. And we have fire drills and lockdown drills. And, and, and we know that kids are going to encounter negativity online. Um, we, we just know that it happens. So, so if we're doing that together as a class in a guided, uh, guided way, and, and we do know those basics, absolutely. Um, then, then, then we are giving our kids the skills that they can use when they encounter such a thing on their own. Um, and there are a couple of strategies, like, so a think aloud, it's one of the things I talk about in the book. So, so what are some of the things you can do when you're thinking aloud in your class? And, and I remember talking to teachers and, and I've done this as well. You, you make up situations in your class where you're going to have to respond because you don't want them to be in a really negative situation, but you might want to have someone with just an egg, you know, try to, 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 to be a friend in the class for the classroom Twitter account or Instagram, you know, someone they don't recognize. So then as a teacher, you can say here, like, we don't know who this person is. We don't have the, you, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this. What do you guys think? Like you can, you can have, you can embrace those conversations. You can have those conversations because you're actually using um, social media and there are always scaffolds, right? So you can be private in some instances, you know, certainly with a YouTube channel. And then as you become more comfortable, you can open things up a little bit more. Um, there are lots of teachers who use, you know, uh, Google Classroom, for example. It's kind of, it's pretty much a closed environment. It's a great place to practice um, some of these skills that we talk about. My only concern is if it only stays there, then we set up that whole school versus real life learning dichotomy, right? So, so at some point, students need to know that it, I, I have to act this way or, or this is what I need to do, not just when I'm in class or in school, but this is the way I need to act online all the time. And I think that's that a really sense. important point because like, uh, I, I, I always talk about, um, when I'm, when I'm working and, and, and to anyone listening to you, uh, Katie's kind of keeping her eye on cause she doesn't have the best internet connection. So uh, she's going to chime in when she has, but she's got a little bit of a lag here. Um, but one of the things that, um, I always talk about is that no employer is going to ever ask for your Edmodo account. They actually have no idea it exists. It's a total right. school related thing. Now that's not saying that Edmodo is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's not an endpoint. It's not like where you want to like, is Edmodo, do you see Edmodo as training wheels to get students to another level? So you're, you're moving them towards. And I think that a lot of the tools that we're using in school, 
um, we're not using them as training wheels. We're using them as endpoints. Like we have, you know, learner management systems, Google Classroom, blah, 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 which don't exist in anything other than school. And then, and then kids start, they start contextualizing where they, you know, they mm -hmm. act one way in the school environment, like they would in your yeah. classroom. Then they go outside and then they act, you know, not understanding that this is more than just their friends able to see this. And I think that actually, uh, I'm hoping you can share a story and maybe I can kind of trigger because uh, something that you, we, you and I talked about. Uh, if you remember that one kid you didn't actually know, do you know what I'm talking about, Jennifer? The one student who said something inappropriate online that you didn't know and you actually yeah. addressed them? Can you yeah, so the story from her book? And I think it's a, it was really interesting to see how you, and maybe you want to share what happened there. Absolutely. So one of my personal quests online, no matter who I'm talking with, I'm always trying to be positive. And I also feel like I need to be a mentor for kids. And so one day, um, it was a couple of years ago, uh, we have something called the Ontario Secondary School Literacy Test, um, which kids write. And there was a hashtag that was created, OSSLT16. And it was fun, right? Like it was, you know, a picture of a kid, um, you know, after book one, a kid on a surfboard. And then after booklet two, the tsunami, right? So, so it was for the most part really fun. Um, but there was this one student in particular he put this completely inappropriate thing and and it was it was horrible like it was horrible it could have been completely and let's, misconstrued let's just it wasn't one of your students no no it was just this random stranger and i thought and i think you and i were texting each other or something at the time because i said i don't know what to do here <laughs> what should i do and i like everything in me said i need i need to shut this down i just need to use this as a teachable moment. It could go one of two ways. He can either tell me to F off online in front of, and that's fine. Or he could recognize that this is, you know, this happened and, and he could appreciate it. And I had no idea which way it was going to go. And very quickly, I, I, I did a search on him and I found him on Facebook. He was just a kid, right? He's a grade 10 kid who just made a really bad decision. And uh, so I said, Hey, I don't know if you know this. I said, but that was, that's really never appropriate. And it's not funny. Um, you should really think about what you just posted there. And, and he, he said, KK, um, thank you, which, you know, very monosyllabic teenagers, but he deleted the tweet um, and said thank you to me. And I thought, okay, <laughs> th that's great. Um, and so, but since then, so it's interesting, I don't know if I shared this with you, um, George, but so I run our social media accounts at school. Um, and a lot of the kids know it's me by now, but I do the same thing. If I see a kid who is, and, and it just happened the other day, not the other day, in October, um, and it's this amazing leader in the school, like just, just the best kid you could ever imagine. And online, he puts this completely inappropriate, like, who, like, it was crazy to me. So I thought, oh, okay, like, I know him. I don't know him well. What do I do? I sent him a, a direct message, and I said, hey, like, you're an awesome kid. That tweet, not so much. And he goes, oh, uh, yeah, I guess not. Thanks, miss, he said. And then I said, and if you want some tips on how to, to have a more positive online presence, because we haven't done that yet, I said, let me know. And he said to me, miss, I wouldn't even know where to start. And that is the tragedy, I think, that we have kids. I think he's in grade 11 or 12. Jen, sorry. that is such a great... Uh, 
that's the tragedy. Like we have these kids who are leaving our schools who have, you know, in a time where your online resume is as important as any piece of paper resume, you know, where you're being asked for a job in a job, what social media are you on and what do I learn about you? And they have no concept of how to create a positive digital image for themselves. And I think we are really doing our kids a disservice by not not tackling this, not showing them, um, not not being in these online spaces with these kids where we can mentor them. We have this whole generation of kids who've just been on social media on their own and they watch cat, cat videos and they use it for entertainment. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. You know, that's it's not fun. Cat cat Let's not get all of our cat videos here. Okay, I've seen some great cat cat videos um, as I walk around the library, but I also really think, you know, we're educators and, and they have powerful tools in their hands. They have no concept of how to use for learning. They have no concept that they can use that tool in, in the same, it takes the same effort to use that tool to inspire someone, to build someone up as it does to build, to tear someone down, right? Um, but we just have to start modeling and showing the way. And, and so we can't be afraid to use social media because our kids need that lesson, I think. And I, that actually is going to be a nice little segue into, uh, we're going to start talking about uh, part three of the book. Uh, just want to share uh, something and I'm actually tweeting it out to the iMOOC hashtag if you want uh, more of a reference. And I think it's a really great idea. There's a school in uh, Florida, and I'm sorry, to, I think it's close to Fort Lauderdale, and a gentleman named Jason Schaefer. Yes. Uh, and he's actually linked in uh, the article that I just tweeted out. And the school level, they actually, they you know, grade nine, uh, so freshmen there, uh, they actually have a branding course for their grade nine students, and it's mandatory. So all of the students have to take this. And I think that's a really, part of it is that it starts in grade nine. So it's four years before they're going to graduate because, they they do it and and they're telling kids what is possible, what they should do, and what they should share. And I think what's what's really powerful um, about this. And I always ask this question: that if your dream job was available tomorrow morning, and I want your resume by nine a.m., everyone listening to this, if I said I got really good pay for this, you know, they would be like, "Oh my god!" And they would dust off their resume and have it ready to go. But if I said I'm going to Google you. Most people listening to this would, would be in trouble, not for the sense of them doing anything bad, it's that they're not doing anything good. And so it, it doesn't show anything there. And, and I think that it's fair to, you know, Google teachers before your child goes into the classroom because we do it for restaurants and hotels, which are insignificant when you actually compare it to, um, you compare it to like a child spending a year with a person. I think that's a really big thing. And so, you know, and, and I probably said this in one of the other iMOOC sessions is that uh, a quote that has always stuck with me is that we expect innovation in every organization except for the one we work in, which was mind-blowing to me, the sense that, you know, oh, that's really good pr practice for hotels and airlines and, ho you know, and for restaurants. But when we do for teachers, like, oh, don't invade my privacy. It's not your privacy. You're teaching. You're, you're working with kids. So um, we've kind of put Katie in the penalty box because of her internet. She's kind of uh, oh, Katie. off there. So uh, Jennifer and I are going to actually dive into the book. And so one of the things I blog, uh, blogged about um, 
is the idea. And Katie, if you could actually jump in and we'll kind of give you a test here, because I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on this question as well. Um, intent versus impact. So there's probably nobody that you work with, either one of you, that doesn't see this as important. But there's a difference between seeing and actually doing things about it. And one of the things I always talk about is, especially with digital citizenship and digital leadership, is that it's the same as manners. It is the responsibility of everybody. We only don't have a manners teacher, so we shouldn't have only a few mm -hmm. people teaching digital citizenship. So how do you actually get people to go past, you know, what they believe is true to actually doing something important about it? So any, and I'm gonna start with you, Katie, and we're gonna check out your new internet connection. Great, hopefully this It's way works. better, it's um, way better already. Okay, wonderful. So this whole notion of intent versus impact, like you said, nobody wants to do a bad job. Everybody is there to make an impact on students. Um, but I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of, you know, this is the 2017-18 strategic plan. We get these big lofty goals and we're going to change how everybody learns. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's these new programs and resources. So the intent is great. But what's happening in classrooms, we haven't made that shift or we haven't supported people to make those small tweaks that actually make the impact. So I think it's having those big aspirations, but really working with individuals to have those small um the small impact. I don't know what is so funny, but I, you just said big aspirations, and I think you lagged for a second. I was like, holy. <laughs> I'm sorry, it did not sound good. Your internet's a little bit slow. All right, so I'll just leave it with <laughs> I, that. <laughs> There's junior high George just popped out. Um, is It's for moving from the big ideas. How's that, right. better? Those big ideas that we have and, and really that like huge, huge change that we want to see and really scaling it back to into the classroom, you really are like 13. Sure. <laughs> sure. So um, moving it, <laughs> moving into the classroom what do you think jennifer well you take it what do you think jennifer <laughs> um it's, it's interesting because i had um so when i was working with the 21c uh, district level team uh, we s certainly saw that happen um we had we had committed all this time and effort and energy we had a vision for what we thought it was going to be like and we had we actually had a team from every school we had it consisted of an administrator a teacher librarian a special education teacher and a classroom teacher we released them for six different times in that first year um, and you know we had we worked really close it and curriculum worked really really closely together we kind of thought we had it right it was it was awesome i don't even know how we survived that year but at the end when we asked for feedback we realized that exactly what you said, that the intent was wonderful, but the actual impact, the actual, the, the number of teachers who were doing this in classrooms in the service of learning for kids was not as great as we expected. And we went, hmm, like, what do we need to do here? And so we did a couple of things. So we, we listened to people and I think that's really important. Um, I think it's one thing to have a vision, um, but then how you go about getting that vision needs to happen organically by listening to people. And, and so that was number one, what we did. The other thing we started to notice is we started to celebrate the good things. So we often talk about pockets of innovation as being a bad thing. We actually looked at the pockets of innovation and thought, hmm, this is a really good first fertile ground for us to continue to grow what this looks like. And so what year one, it was entirely uh, directed by us, facilitated by us. I would say 95% of it was. By year two, we had gone to almost a 50-50 split where we had 
we, we invited these teachers who were doing the work in their classroom. Um, you know, and a couple of the teachers are the teachers that I actually feature in the book. They, they were doing some awesome things and we just need to share that. Um, so using our, our hashtag and bringing them in to facilitate sessions. So now it's real. Now they're because there are always going to be issues that a classroom teacher is going to have um, that we just don't understand when we're working at the district level, right? Um, so I, I, that was a really big part of it. Um, and then we brought in students. Um, so, and that was, uh, I was really passionate about how do we bring in student ed tech teams? So our teams grew um, and we focused on learning. So you are here and you are learning and then you need to go and, and, and we need to sort of be a community of learners first. And that's what made a greater impact. When we saw ourselves as learners, um, when we we really um, let go, relinquished that whole, we have to say what, it, um, what needs to be done. Our, some of our schools said, you know what? We don't need, thanks for the release time, but we don't need to come out to the board six times. We need to work with our schools. Um, can you give us our release time that way? And we're like, yeah, sure, right? So, so it's that flexibility to listen to have an end goal in mind. Ultimately, we, we wanted um, teachers to engage in technology-enabled learning with their students. That was the end goal. But how we got there after year one changed dramatically, and, and we were okay with that, and there was a greater impact, I think, as a result. So I think one of the things that I want uh, you to, like, for anyone listening here, and I'm going to throw a little bit of a challenge. Like we can talk forever circles around stuff that we do in yeah. education and then never actually do anything. Like, yeah. it's like talk, 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 talk. And actually, um, if you notice in the, the end of the chapters, it says moving forward, which means mm -hmm. like, let's get going. Like I, you can talk all you want, but I need something concrete. And one of the strategies that I've started doing with groups is um, I will actually call people out in sessions and say, you know, and then we'll talk about, I'm like, here's what I need you to do until this time. By this time, I need you this to be done and actually make them write it in a calendar. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I, I've been really working with is getting schools to um, use hashtags to build presence and share what's going on so that it's not done for a, done by an angry parent for the school. Um, and so they're doing it. I'm like, give yourself a few months and by this date, I want you to be able to put that sign up at the front of the school and say, check out what we're learning at hashtag blah, blah, blah. Because now there is a, an endpoint. Like, you need to get this done by this time. You need mm -hmm. to be have some presence in that space. And I think that leads into um, the next question. Uh, one of the things that I, I'm really big on is that we decide what kind of learning we want to happen in our schools and then define the technology. And I, I, what I've seen with a lot of schools um, is they'll get iPads or they'll get Chromebooks and they'll be like, now what? What do we do with these things? Which is terrifying to me. Uh -huh. Now, technology can obviously is transformational, allows us to do things we didn't do before. But how do you get people to the point? And I'm going to start again with you, Katie. Um, how do you get people to the point where they kind of have a vision of what is possible, of what they can do with the technology, and then kind of decide what they're going to do with it, you know, what, what they'll get, you know, here's what, the, here's what we want to do. Here's what we need to do it. So I think my favorite place to start is one, what you want kids to know and do, but 
So like that, the bigger frame, but then starting off with what are the questions people have? What are the challenges that, that kids are trying to solve? And then what technology is there to support that? Do you need to collaborate with somebody? Well, then you're using the technology to do that. You're reaching out to access people to find information rather than the opposite of we have 30 minutes, we have to implement this program. Mm-hmm. figuring out what it is that's possible for kids to do, what questions they have, and then how the technology and resources can support. I think I see such better outcomes. And when kids can do that, they understand that it's about learning. And we talked about this last week, that it's not just about sticking a computer in front of a kid for engagement. It's really empowering them to find information, to solve problems, to answer questions. And sometimes it is basic information, but you can still give them some agency to be able to figure that out rather than set them off on, um, I found a new app. I went to this conference. It was great. Now we have to figure out how to move this and use it into in our curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I really agree with that. And it's, um, Funny because I I always think of that that idea of that powerful technology first, uh, sorry powerful pedagogy first. So how what do I want my students to know, understand, and be able to do? And then there's always going to be someone who supports you, whether it's the person across the the street or I know I was a program resource teacher and a, a, a literacy consultant. I that was my job to help people. Now as a teacher librarian, that's my role to co-plan and co-teach with you so that you know what you want to do and I will I have a knowledge of what tool might serve the best you know in, in the best interests of you. And and I think that's the most important that that this should this is not a solitary profession um, that there are people that we can reach out to all the time. Um, but as soon as we acknowledge the fact that there are others that can help us. And, and I would venture to say, and I think you may have talked about this, um, but I would venture to say that your veteran teachers, teachers who have been teaching for 23 years, um, who know their curriculum, have so much more to offer than, than you probably realize. Um, you know, I was that teacher, when I was first learning technology, I was first on Twitter, um, I remember learning Today's Meet and thinking, oh, I love Today's Meet, right? I'm going to go in and I'm going to do this with kids. It's going to be the best thing ever. It was the worst, worst. I mean, oh my gosh, I had to apologize to those kids a million times. I had to apologize to the teacher I was working with a million times because it was the worst thing I could have done there. Instead of promoting conversation, we, we I had given them a picture. It was all about um, what does it mean to be homeless? And we gave them a picture and we wanted them to have a dialogue. And when I had done it without technology, the kids were totally engaged in it. They were like going up to the board and looking at it and trying to figure out the different nuances of the picture. As soon as I introduced today's meet, they were so concerned about what am I putting in here in the 140 characters that we really had no insight as to what they were thinking, doing, saying, what prior knowledge they had, even though that tool is designed to do that for us, right? To, to make thinking visible. Um, and, and, and so I think that's something we have to be very, very careful of. But we also... Um, I, I, I do want to also say, though, I have been in situations where powerful learning actually comes as a result of technology and and a, a, a powerful connection. Um, so do, can I t- share that story for a sec? Or, um, okay, so, um, so I was working with a teacher in a First Nation school, Julie Blen, and a teacher in Markham, Lisa Lafreddy, and we were working on the idea of um, what 
tolerance in Canada. So are Canadians really as tolerant? And all U.S. people, you know, we're so super sweet. But we're trying to unpack that with the um, with our, our, the First Nations experience, right? And so it, it was awesome. They were reading the same articles and watching the same films and having their own conversations. And then we were going to have them meet. And when we met, so um, the teacher had never really done a, a hangout on air. So I went and, and really, like, I, I really just facilitated that. And I facilitated the connection. And those, like, you can hear a pin drop when those, those students were talking about their lived experiences around racism. And I was sobbing in the background. Um, it was so very, very moving. Um, and the kids in their video reflections, because I was doing this for a ministry project, um, the kids in their video reflections, they were unbelievably thoughtful. And they, one girl, when she left the class, said, thank you so much for opening up this world to me. And the kids in their video reflections were saying to me, uh, were saying, I, it's one thing to read about something and see it in a textbook or watch a YouTube video, but to actually talk to another 16-year-old kid who has this completely different idea of what Canada is based on the kind of discrimination that they've had, like you, that that's unbelievable to me. And so as a result of that connection, um, they were far more invested in conversations about the truth and reconciliation document, about um, issues of tolerance in Canada, because, because they had had that experience. And so I, I think it can go both ways. I think it's a, uh, that's why I'm such a huge advocate for, you know, what are we using our technology for? If it is to connect our kids um, to others who could provide other perspectives, um, you know, other kids, other cl uh, classes, experts, then those are going to be transformative because they are students to learn more about a subject. This is actually quite interesting today uh, from the Q conference in California where I was speaking at uh, on the weekend, uh, a, a, a teacher came up to me and very nice and she, you know, asked me, like, would you you know, FaceTime with our kindergarten kids, they want to ask you questions. I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So, you know, they were they were asking me questions and really excited. But I think what was really powerful is when I actually started asking them questions back and mm -hmm. started getting them to share things. And they're like, oh, this is so cool. Like, he wants to learn from us too. And, and the teacher was really excited. Uh, there's two things I want to kind of just poke at. And, and they're not pushback, but they're just kind of build upon um, of what Jennifer is talking one of the fallacies that drives me insane is that, you know, if you have a veteran teacher, they're not going to be good with technology, which drive it's just, I hate it. it it's That's like true. so, so untrue um, to this idea is that there's, what I've actually seen is that a lot of teachers that are very reluctant to trying new things are actually a lot of times younger teachers because they're so ingrained to the experience of school and how they experienced it as a student and they recreate that as a teacher. And so the, the thing, I, the whole reason I wrote the book, The Innovator's Mindset, is that it has nothing to do with age. It's how you think and look at stuff. And so when people say to me, oh, I'm not good with technology, I'm like, you're not good at learning? Like, the, the thinking is that you can learn whatever you want. And, you know, people say, oh, kids are way better in technology than me. I'm like, they're not than me. Like, don't, don't put me in that, you know, that group. And I think it is how you think and look at stuff. Um, the the other thing I thought was sorry, really, I I have to tell you I do agree with you there because I am a veteran just on, teacher. Just one. <laughs> the, the the one the one other thing too that I really appreciate what Jen said is that if you're very comfortable with technology, I think the other part of it too is that 
you actually know when not to use it and you know when it's not valuable. That you don't just, like I've really started pushing back towards the term technology integration because it's like you're trying to fit it into something that's meaningful, not creating like meaningful learning experiences. So, sorry, Jen. Continue. No, no, I, I agree. And I think I really do think like, you know, when people say, you know, you never took a computer studies course, I don't get it. And how old are you? You know, how old are you? We joke about that all the time. But um, but it is, you know, I, I'm learning. Right. And so that's the the value of being on Twitter and connecting with other people. And that's what I meant about sort of connecting with someone who could show you things. Right. And getting an iPhone, too. Jennifer is in Blackberry yes. for a little bit. Yeah, so sort of making fun of her. Um, the last question, and again, we'll start with you, Katie, because your internet is just flying now. I don't know what's going on. It must be hotel happy hour there that nobody's on the internet. <laughs> it is. Uh, and of course, you're doing this MOOC session. Um, the, the notion of embracing an open culture. And just before we go into this last topic, um, I'm watching the iMOOC hashtag. So if you have questions, I, I have two already uh out there, um, we'll possibly look at answering your questions. So tweet it to the iMOOC hashtag, and we're going to take some viewer questions to end off. Um, so the, the notion of less is more, right? that, and I think this is a very hard one for people. And one of the things I always talk about is that teachers don't have plates, they have platters. Like we put so much on teachers. And a lot of times we're very thoughtful, like we want to do this, we want to do this, and we want to do this, but nothing's going off. And so how do you, and I'll start with you, Katie, um, how do you start to like figure out like what do we not need to do anymore? How do we like, you know, wrap? And I think this is actually one of the hardest concepts for teachers because they, because everything's important. So right. like, how do you start pulling stuff off and how do you kind of lessen the load? So we go deeper, not just everything surface level. This is one of, again, it's the hardest, but one of my favorite questions, because um, as we work with districts and people all over, um, that are supporting schools. My question is always: Are your systems, are your systems set in place for people to comply and implement all these rules and procedures, or are you allowing people to really learn and innovate and try new things that meet the needs of people in their classrooms? And the reason I say this about less is more is so often we have just continued to have all the programs, all the resources. I see desktops with with computers. I see them with. Um, textbooks, notepads, everything. Kids are just, and teachers are doing more and more and more, but nothing ever gets taken away. So we keep all the curriculum and then you add in 30 minutes of this program and 30 minutes of another program. So I'm always asking people, what is it that you want kids to know and do? What is the learning that you want to happen? Let's take away all the mandates and all the, I know that scares a lot of district people, but really at least look at what our expectations are. Is like intense curriculum maps and these intense assessments and really figure out what it is we want kids to know and do. And then the teachers are often so skilled and so in tune with what their kids are able to do that it allows for more time for actual learning instead of so much doing. Um, so the more that grade level teams and school teams can sit together and figure out in a week, in a month, whatever it is, what is it that we want our kids to really do? And, and what can we almost take away so that we can engage them in this learning process rather than just assigning and completing so many different tasks? Mm -hmm. 
So I need to, so this is actually a continuation of the story from before. So we have this very powerful learning experience. We have kids between the First Nations class and our students. Um, and they, one of the things that they were very clear about is that they wanted more. Um, but, you know, time constraints, whether they're perceived or, or real, um, you know, content had to be covered. And so that stopped. Um, we did continue the conversation on a Google Doc to some extent, but when, when we interviewed those kids, that was the thing I think that broke my heart the most, the fact that they desperately wanted to delve further, to connect again, um, to, you know, the students in the first, in, in um, Julie Belen's class, they had so much to offer them in terms of what they could have taught, like, again, lived experiences, but we never got to do that because we, you know, and you can't fault the teacher, right? It's this feeling that you need to cover everything. And we, we've done that, but we need to move on, right? We need to move on. I would rather, and, and, and we have, I think we have so much more flexibility than we give ourselves credit for, especially in Ontario. I don't know what it's like in other places, but in Ontario, our curriculum expectations, especially in English, um, they are much more open. Um, and I would rather have kids learn something deeply and remember that than have a whole bunch of superficial things and not. So it is about making a conscious decision to say, okay, my kids right now, I've never seen them this engaged ever. I've never seen them so interested in researching something. You know, I, I need to continue this and be okay with that and have an administrator that supports that. And I can tell you, your parents are going to support that because how often as a mom, do my kids come home excited about something they learned in school? I'm going to tell you, not so often, right? Um, so, so I think we just need to, to, grab those opportunities when they can. They may not come about more than once a semester. So when they do, we need to really hang on to them and, and make the most out of them because those are the experiences our kids are going to cherish and remember. And that's where the true learning happens. And uh, I think one of the powerful things that kind of think about that's different from, you know, when most of us watching this, uh, you know, grew up is that, when summer camp ends now, you never have to say goodbye. You can actually have connections to people all the time. And that's a really powerful thing is that yeah. uh, kids will actually never have to say goodbye forever to a friend uh, that they meet at summer camp. It's kind of a, it's a different thinking. And so we have access to these people all the time. Like, like I was just mentioning how I was at Q on the weekend. Um, and, and actually this is beautiful. Uh, we're going to take one of the questions and it's actually quite interesting that, a lot of conferences I go to, I still keep connections with a lot of these people and, and uh, learn from them after the fact. And so um, actually one person, Marsha Moore Sirkin, uh, she actually, I don't think she was doing that much on Twitter before a conference. And I kind of made her do a Twitter makeover and she's been, she's amazing. Like she is tweeting and sharing stuff. And so her question is, how do we get the leaders in a digital citizenship common sense to shift the conversation about digital footprint to a more positive one. So your administrators, like how do we get from the movement of like, just don't do anything bad online to how do you get, you know, get them to do it? How do you actually work with administrators? Uh, so, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm messing up her question, but that's uh, what, what just paraphrasing her. So one of the things I think is important, um, the administrators seem to understand, I'm not an administrator, but they seem to understand 
um, what it means to be proactive. And we've had negative experiences in various in our various high schools. And and I truly believe that it's because we haven't spent the time to really foster digital leadership um, that we're having these negative negative experiences, right? Kids are doing these things on their own. They're doing them under the radar of the teachers because, of course, all of this stuff is blocked. Um, but the kids just moved to their 3D data, the kids could, who could afford it. So all of these things are happening anyway. And so I know with my administrator, he is very supportive um, because he recognizes that if we sort of get, get behind, you know, embrace a culture of positivity in, by building community, not just in school, but online as well, that that's only going to help us um, prevent some of these things to happen. And I met an amazing uh, person, Matt Soth. Um, he's with I Can Help, hashtag I Can Help. And he, he has uh, 20 ideas for what um, how to empower um, positivity in your schools. And, and, and he has seen is in doing that work, the kids become first respondents. So if anything negative is happening online, they are checking each other. Um, they, you know, he used the example of someone putting up a fake website of, of a teacher. And, and originally this became totally out of control. But when you really kind of work on this idea of digital leadership, positivity, right? Um, that the kids, it, no one followed it. They took it down within 30 minutes. It was a total non-issue. So we need to be proactive. We need to start doing this. And we need to start doing it with our kids when they're younger. Um, because one of the, the transformational things I have seen is in every instance where these teachers are working um, to model um, digital leadership in their classes with their students and empowering students to do this, what actually happens is those student accounts become beacons for positivity as well. And, and I think it was A.J. Giuliani who talked about Albert Bandura. It's, it's the theory of observa uh, observational theory, I think it is. This notion that when we model uh, good things, then, this, then people imitate that. And students do. They imitate that. And I've seen it. And it's incredible. Um, so that, that would be what I would say to that. So the there's one comment I think that's really uh, and Catherine I think it's Catherine Day. Now I encourage you if you're on Twitter um, that you actually put your name in your profile, not your Twitter handle, but actually. So I don't know if I'm saying your name right, Catherine. I think it's Catherine. Uh, it's at Day Catherine M. So I'm just making an assumption there. And I think one of the things that's important is that you can be found online. And she's having some comments about you know when like when we disagree. And I think it's, you know, we talk about kids being positive and that's really important. But if you look at politics online, it's really hard for adults to have a conversation. And like, we're not even talking kids right now, we're talking adults. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we learn to disagree with one another in respectful ways. And I think that uh, we don't want everything to be an echo chamber, but that we yeah. have the opportunity to disagree with stuff, but, you know, listen to ideas. And I, one of the things I always say is that if you disagree with someone, don't necessarily make a statement, ask questions, try to understand from their, mm -hmm. their viewpoint. And I think that starts a better conversation. So mm -hmm. this next question uh, I'm going to give to Katie, and this is from Heather Walker. And so what is the best strategy for getting all stakeholders to be held accountable and follow through on agreed tech goals? So uh, how do you create that vision and how do you, stay true to it. And I think how is, what, what would you say? And, and Katie does a lot of amazing work with uh, school district teams 
So I'd love to kind of like, how do you make that vision? How do you hold true to it? Great question. Great question. Um, first thing is getting people in the room together to have that conversation. Uh, to we have someone in the IT department not talking to curriculum when they're making separately. So um, am I echoing? No, keep going. You're good. Sorry. So once we get in the same room together, I think we really look at um, what is it, that, what type of teaching and learning do we want to see? And um, again, just to sound like a broken record, not programs, but what, what do we want to see in classrooms when we go in? You know, a great place to start is Georgia's eight things to look for in a classroom. But having those conversations about, I want to see kids collaborating. I want to see voice. I want to see choice. That helps people understand and really get to the core. And then we start looking at technology to really collaborate locally, globally. We can teach kids how to engage online. And I think this whole conversation tonight is about moving from this culture of fear of technology or fear of social media, fear of what kids can do with technology to really highlighting the positives and giving people um, to do some amazing things. So we start with those conversations, we set some goals, we set some big ideas, and then really go to the classroom. So a vision will stay a vision and just say this pretty picture or words on a paper unless you really move into the classroom and start taking action. So I think the big piece is having that goal, but getting into classrooms, trying things out and sharing what's working and always bringing it back to how are we making progress towards that end goal? So when teachers are doing great things, if it's a school hashtag or a district hashtag, always making sure that you're sharing the strategies you're using, sharing student work and sharing what's not working. Um, always coming back to what did we say we wanted to do and how are we making progress towards that? Um, it's really powerful. It's really powerful to have students be part of that conversation to share what they're learning. Um, and then holding that the student goals and outcomes as that result. So always bringing student work back and having, um, having conversations too often. We say, I tried the strategy. It was great. My kids were happy. So what, um, what are you bringing back to the table that's showing what kids did? What is evidence of that really powerful learning and how are you using it to really take it to the next level? Um, the more we do that and the more that, again, we have conversations about things kids are doing, um, the more people can see it. Um, too often we talk in gross generalizations about blended or flipped or personalized, and we have no real idea about what that looks like in a classroom until we actually talk about what kids are doing. So that I, I wanna, we're going to go one more question, and Jennifer, I'm going to ask you for a 10-second answer because i got to go to an Oilers game tonight, and I never get to go anywhere. So 10-second answer, but one thing I want to add to Kate, what Katie's saying is that part of the skill, and this leads to the less is more of leadership, is bringing people together towards a common vision. When people are all over the place, the biggest loser in that is the kids. And I think that when we have a shared vision of where we go, like there's autonomy in the sense of how do you get towards a vision, but if everyone's all over the place, it's not serving your kids. And I think that's really an important skill of leadership. So 10 second answer, Jennifer, this is from Barry Gertz. And I'm putting you on the spot here because you don't even know what the question is, but you got to answer it in 10 seconds. And when have you ever known me to not be wordy and answer in 10 seconds? Just, just say Just okay. say How do you suggest the best way of partnering with parents in modeling proper use of social media? Sorry, can you ask that again? 
How do you, so this is from Barry Gertz. How do you suggest the best way of partnering with parents in modeling proper use of social media? Because they're so crucial to the work that we do. Uh, they, we, they have to be a part of the conversation. Um, in every instance, um, every teacher that was using social media had their parents 100% on board, um, and that's the key. Because sometimes we make assumptions about what our parents will think, when in actual fact, what happens is some incredible learning, not just for your students, but for your parents as well. You did it. It's awesome. Is that 10 seconds? Oh, okay. uh, Jennifer Castle Todd, 10 seconds. <laughs> So that's pretty good. And one of the things that if you can switch the conversation to what did you learn today to I saw what you were learning today, tell me more about it. I think you'll get way better answers at home and use social media as a way to actually make connections. Uh, so I really want to thank Jennifer for taking the time out. Uh, Katie, who, who is on the road and made sure there's like lots of awesome stuff going on. And so she spent her time doing this, even though uh, her mic wasn't there, and she's so crucial to this program. Uh, we're going to actually have another, we're going to have another, I think, two more uh, YouTube live sessions. The next one probably, I think, is next Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I encourage you, one of the challenges from uh, Matt Aaron, who's getting shout-outs this whole process, he totally wants to run it next time, uh, is he suggested that you do a buddy blog. So write a blog post with somebody else. And the beautiful thing about this, you both write it, post it on your own blog and just give credit to the other person. And so that would be a good opportunity or you can blog something else. You don't, and you, you're always welcome to try different things. Just do something this week and share it to those spaces. Uh, I want to thank you for your conversations. I want to thank you for uh, jumping in the conversation uh, because I'm going to go out tonight and actually do something fun. Uh, I won't have the podcast up till uh, tomorrow if you want to share with other people. But thank you so much, uh, Jennifer. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for all the participants for joining in tonight. I hope you have a wonderful evening and uh, we'll be looking at the questions as well. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you, George. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>